Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Kevin Johnson program. This is episode 26, and as you probably know, I am your host, Kevin Johnson, and you can find us on SoundCloud as well as Anchor. And if you'd like to find us on social media, we're also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under Kev John Pro. And once again, this is our installment where we interview the creative community in South Florida, from Miami up to West Palm Beach. And I'd like to introduce my guest at this time, and she goes by the name of Anne Humphrey. Welcome, Anne, to my program. Hi, thank you, Kevin. This is so awesome. Thank you so very much for inviting me. I am totally honored. <laughs> well, I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to uh, do this. To tell you the truth, when I first started this project, I started this back in late July, and the first person that I thought of when I said, well, hey, let me do a podcast, was you, because I understand that uh, you are a entrepreneur as well as a public speaker, but let's go back to the very beginning, because we have to of course, establish our connection. Anne and I participated in a college production of A Raisin in the Sun back in 1996. So we go back 23 years. Wow. So it has been that long. So when we met, I, you know, uh, you were, uh, you played Ruth, who was yeah. the, uh, who was the, the wife of the main character, which is Walter Lee. So you were the Ruby D uh, character. Uh, yes. And it was interesting because, correct me if I'm wrong, because we're extremely yes. transparent on this. Uh, that was your first acting experience, or did you do any acting prior to college? Only except in my mirror. <laughs> <laughs> my actual first um, um, experience and, and what a journey that, that was because uh, as you know uh, I played Ruth Younger and um, I was the one that got all the directions from the director uh, <laughs> because, <laughs> because I wanted to save Ruth I wanted to I felt as though her voice wasn't being heard and, and during that time, uh, you know, I was uh, battling with the script. And then uh, because of the fact that we had such a tremendous uh, director and other people who helped groom us and guide us through this process, um, it, it, was, it was then I, be, I started to uh, become one with Ruth Younger. And, and a lot of beautiful things happened after that. So it was just so awesome to have a leading role and to play Ruth Younger. Uh, and uh, but yeah, I, I I was bitten by the bug every set, every set. Good, good. So we're gonna go back a little further. Uh, you are a Florida native, as you say, and yes. you were born. Were you born and raised in Fort Lauderdale? Yes, I was uh, born in Holy Cross Hospital. 
I was there during the time when they still had nuns as nurses. Oh. And yeah, so uh, I know a lot of people when they find out that I am a Floridian, they say, oh, well, you must have been born in Broward General. And no, I was born in Holy Cross Hospital in the early 70s. And uh, yeah, I, I am a true native uh, Floridian. So, okay. yeah. Okay. Now, uh, is your family uh, originally from Florida as well? Are you like first or, I mean, second generation Floridian? Well, I am the, from my father, because my father did not grow up in Fort Lauderdale. He grew up in the same place as Ray Charles. In fact, he remembers seeing Ray Charles when he was My father grew up in Greenville, Florida. Uh, and my mother uh, was raised in Georgia, and then they later on moved to Florida. So, um, but although my father is a Floridian, but he didn't grow up in Fort Lauderdale. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. And where did you go to high school? Dillard High School. Okay. Panthers. <laughs> okay. All right. Fact, yes. Dillard High School is the school that I attended. And let me tell you the story about that because it's so, it's so awesome. My mother, my mother and my uncle, they too attended uh, Dillard High School. So when I was younger, I would look through my mother's old yearbooks. And I would see, uh, she would point out uh, some of the people, I don't know if you remember Sugar Daddy from Good Time. Yes, he, Theodore Wilson. Uh, he was, right, he was a graduate uh, from Dillard High School. Okay. Uh, and, um, and so she would point out all these different people who went off and did tremendous things uh, in, in the world. And uh, so I, I just, I was like thrilled, even when I was a little kid, and I was like, okay, I cannot wait to attend Dillard uh, High School, and yeah, so that's where I graduated from Dillard High School. Okay, and can you, is is it too taboo to tell me what year you graduated? <laughs> <laughs> I'm an 89 graduate, 89. <laughs> 89, 89, yes. okay, yes. okay. Uh, I actually graduated '94, so I'll give you that. Uh, <laughs> so yes. Okay, yes, I'm a, I'm a couple of years older than you, which I already knew that. But yeah, I'm an '89 graduate of Dillard High School. Okay, all right. So yeah. when I met you in '96 during our our uh, production of A Raisin in the Sun, what were you going to school for at that time in Broward? <sighs> I was going to school for business admin. Okay. Um, and but I but it, it was something that drew me towards theater. Now I think what happened because you're you're taking me back. I believe what happened is that I was a work study student, and I was when I was working there, I was working in a financial aid office, and then I think that you know they needed. They didn't need as many people working near the financial aid office. And then I started working in the theater department. And during that time, there was this gentleman by the name of Charlie Cow. I love Mr. Charlie Cow. He's just so awesome. And he would play all this beautiful old music from Dinah Washington to Sarah Vaughn to all of that. And so with me being in the atmosphere and, and just experiencing uh, you know, that that type of music and the people and the ambiance. I just was like, okay, I'm in the right place. So 
I was working in the theater department, and then that's how I moved on and journeyed into saying, hey, let me try out for a role. And in fact, let me just share this. I didn't, I, I knew Ruth was a leading role, so I did not want her. I All I wanted is to do Bonita. Ah. <laughs> I said, let me just do Bonita. Okay. So I, I, uh, I uh, you know, tried out for Bonita, and at the time, the director said to me, he says, no, 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 no. No, you, I see you as Ruth. You're, you're not Bonita. And so I was like, but I don't want, you know, I don't want that. I want to just do Bonita because I had not done it before. But, uh, yeah, so, the, you know, that's a fun fact. Um, I really was going for the role of Bonita, but uh, thank God for the director. He saw, he saw a lot more in me than what I saw. <laughs> okay. All right. So... What was interesting to me is that he or our director, who was Richard Hinners, uh, may mm-hmm. he rest in peace, um, he saw such uh, raw talent in you. And mm-hmm. just to know that he was able to place his faith in you for one mm-hmm. of those lead roles and just to just to see you blossom from rehearsal to the actual production uh, was a sight indeed. So now another thing that I wanted to kind of uh, speak on is that you have a kind of a lifelong association or a lifelong uh, connection with a specific organization. So yeah. tell us about how you got involved with the NAACP. Wow, this is this is my heart. Um, I started at the NAACP in 1994. Okay. Okay. In 1994, and um, and how I started with them is because I had experienced something that uh, when I was working a job here, and um, that sent me to the NAACP, and. I would say the rest is history. I, I when I when I began there, and I started working uh, with the NAACP. I, I just knew that that was home uh, because it was a safe haven for me. It was a place where, if you're really truly about serving the people, if you're really truly about elevating uh, the community. If you're really truly about seeing economic development happening for all, that's the place for you. Mm-hmm. And I was able to do lots of things. I was I traveled. Of course, that's when I started. Uh, you know, attending Broward Community College. That's how we met at Broward Community College. Uh, I, you know, as I said, I traveled. I sat on the executive board. I was the secretary. I was the right hand to the president. I did a lot of different things here in Broward County, and I was able to really uh, spread my wings. Um, and 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 that's usually unheard of because at least back then, um, certain organizations would not have young people on the executive board, or would not have, or would not, you know wrap their arms around the young people. But this particular president that I worked uh, alongside, uh, he just had a different philosophy. And and he knew that we would be carrying the torch. So 
it was just a, it was also, I would call that NAACP, I would call it my university. Okay. That's what, that's what, that's what got me really super duper 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 prepared and really able to, for me to mirror in and see the woman who I was becoming. Okay. NAACP was able to do that for me. So, how many local chapters in Broward does the NAACP have? Now, that question, that's, I'm not really too sure, um, because you have some, they're not chapters. Chapters would be for schools. Okay. They would be called branches. Okay. Um, but I know a lot of people say chapters, so it's nothing wrong with that, but just so you know, chapters are for schools, and then branches are where the community is. Uh, I'm not really too sure how many of them are active. I can just say, I can only speak about the Fort Lauderdale one because that's the one that I'm a part of. That's the one that I'm running for uh, in 2020. Um, So you may have branches that are there, but that does not mean that they are really actively helping with the community. I'll put it that way. Okay. You can have a building, but that doesn't mean that they're actively really working with the community. Of course. Now, mm-hmm. in your tenure during the time of the branch that you're working with, or just the uh, the organization as a whole, has there been any uh, changes? Has there been any? Has there been any like? How can I say movement? With the with the NAACP, uh, has it you know always stuck to their creeds? Uh, because of course you know the cl- you know climates change, environments change. So how has how has you know your involvement or how have you have have you seen the NAACP kind of you know stick with the times of the climate and the environment? fantastic and powerful question that you're asking. That's the reason why I'm running. (laughs) And I have been running since 2014, campaigning since 2014. Because when I was with the NAACP, as I said, I was there, I started in 1994, okay? Uh, There was a a different energy. Uh, There was a... Uh, there was things that we did. I would be there to the branch helping people two, three, four o'clock in the morning. Um, our doors was open to the community. Um, we didn't turn you away because we dealt with discrimination cases. We dealt with legal redress cases. We dealt with moms who didn't have money to turn on their lights. We dealt with people who were dealing with unemployment issues. We dealt with every every walk of life you can think of, we dealt with it. And the reason why we were able to deal with it is because of the fact that our doors was actually open. We weren't just a building with doors that are always locked. Mm-hmm. So, so fast forward. This is one of the biggest reasons why I am running, because one of the things that I was taught and I learned and I wrapped my arms around is that if you are an organization for the community, if you are an organization by the community, for the people, and you 
know, the voice for the people, then you've got to be open. And you've got to be able to make, uh, you've got to be able to create um, a, a kind of atmosphere so then people will know that uh, you're just not caught up in your titles. You're not just like, okay, well, I do this at the NAACP, but you're, you're nowhere to be found unless lights, cameras, and action is around. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is one of the primary reasons. My primary goal is to, you know, is to create an atmosphere and, and to let people know that, you know, who may have lost hope, that hope is still alive and well. And more importantly, transforming a community and, and wrapping our arms around our next leaders because they need to be in an environment just like me in 1994. I was in a thriving environment. But if our little kids are not around that, to see that, to see how our current leaders are moving and, and, and making things happen, who are they going to learn from? Right. You know, that's what it's all and, and then, you know, it'll be a vicious cycle of empty and meaningless things. So my primary aim and my primary goal uh, is, is, is something that we talk about at the top of the hour is something that I'm doing. I'm, I'm re-educating myself. One of the things that I'm doing is right now I'm, in the, I'm reading the book, The Science of Getting Rich by Wallace D. Waddles. I understand that the reason why the community has a, 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 a if you will, if you will, some type of blanket of, of, of no movement is because of the mindset. And we need to have a, a leadership that, that first sit quietly, you know, and, and educate themselves. Uh, and be a product of what they're reading. And we need leadership that actually read books. Of course. <laughs> you know, um, people say, well, put it in a book, they'll never read it. So, so I'm of the, 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 the understanding in order for me to be a dynamic leader, I've got to put myself through that journey. I've got to pick up books and, and educate and, and get myself educated so that when I'm out there talking to the people and I'm talking about economic development and us creating our own, then I can say, well, this is how I got it. This is the, this is the plan. This is, this is how I got that strategy. And as I said, The Science of Getting Rich by Mr. Wallace D. Waddles that was written in 1910. Oh, okay. 1910, over 100 years ago. Okay. He left us, and in 1911, he transitioned. That's when he passed away. But in 1910, he wrote the book. And so I've been, I started a Facebook group. I started getting people involved, and I said, listen, we've got to re-educate ourselves because we're not taught these things in school. We're not taught the science of getting rich. We're not taught that. What we're taught is go get, a, get your education, get a degree, go get a job, and work for somebody for the rest of your life. And although that may be fine for somebody else, for their path, hey, do whatever you were called to do. But what about those people who have the entrepreneur's 
spirit and blood that's pumping through their heart like me? What about those people who know that they are creatives, just like your program, they are creatives and they don't want to be stifled at a job? Mm. <laughs> do you get what I'm saying? Right. Where do they go? Where do the creatives go? How, how are they able, because usually if you're doing a job, which is nothing wrong with that, hey, if you're going to do a job, do your job, do what you have to do for, for what you have to do for the time being. But where does your creative juices go? So this is the reason why I am reading and I encourage all of your listeners, pick up the book, The Science of Getting Rich. Because if you are a creative human being, or as Mr. Wallace D. Waddle says in the first chapter, the right to be rich. If you know that you have the right to be rich, then you must understand the science. Okay. And you can find this uh, at your local bookseller, Barnes & Noble, like you said before. Uh, is it also on like uh, Amazon, Kindle, uh, Audible, those type of uh, books? Or is it just... I, uh, I I'm not too sure if it's on Kindle, but it's definitely on Amazon. And I have the printed PDF. Okay. So you can even put in the science of getting rich. Wallace D. Waddles PDF. You can print it up, and then you can even YouTube it and listen to the audio version as well, as well as I'm doing audio versions as well on my show. So, yeah, so just, you know, it's available. Okay. <laughs> it's, you know, people can access this information. So, speaking about your show, because like I was saying before, one of the inspirations behind this podcast is uh, just talking about the ah show which of course a h ah and humphrey um because i know that uh, we've connected sporadically between the time when we performed together up until now and i know that you have your show which is online so tell us how you you know went ahead and began the ah show and is it a talk show or is it an inspirational show uh what you know give us the the basics and give us like the the beginning of how this all started oh my god the also well everybody who knows me knows that i love oprah okay <laughs> okay i love oprah okay love 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 oprah and so because I would watch Oprah, and of course she doesn't even know that we're best friends. I'm best friends with her and Gail. She does, they just don't know about me yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just like uh, Wendy Williams says, friend in my head. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I would watch Oprah. And I would just see how, even myself, I would rush home to make sure my TV was on. At, I think at the time she would come on at 4 p.m. I think that was the, the, her time slot. Uh, but whatever time it was, I would rush, and wherever I was do, I, I had to watch my Oprah. And I said, for her to be able to have that energy to cause people, even men who silently watched her, <laughs> mm-hmm. that she was able to create an atmosphere where people wanted to tune in to see what she was going to be talking about that day. Moving forward, I've always known that I've had a voice, and I have a message, and I have a calling. So my thing was, 
Okay, well, I'm going to create the A show, of course, using my initials. Oprah is the O, and I am the A. Right, got it. And with, yeah, and with that, I've always said I want my show to be about stories of inspiration. Something Oprah said, again, she doesn't, she, you know, she, I'm, she's my friend. I'm, I'm almost having tea with her in my head. Something she always said, she said that before anyone could come to her about a show idea, they had to tell her the intention for the show. Okay. And she said that they weren't clear on the intention, she wasn't going to do it. So, and hearing her and being basically mentored by her, if you will, in a virtual way, and listening to her practices and her philosophies, that's how I came up with the awe moment. Okay. Because I said, well, that is intentional. Because someone is going to experience something in their life, whether good, bad, or indifferent, that causes them to have an awe moment, which then causes them to have a different intention. And so it's about just really diving deep and getting in and, 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 and speaking to your everyday person and allowing them to know that this is a safe place, this is a safe place, but more importantly, this is a place for, as you say, your creatives to come and, and they would feel like, oh, this is home. And so that is the reason why the All Show came about in 2010. In 2010, I did my first show, um, and this young lady uh, helped me out. Her name's Melissa Lady Song, who, who now has her own show. But it was people like Melissa Lady Song and uh, other people who dived in deep with me who all I had, I think at the time, was just the logo and the idea. Okay. And because I was so passionate about what I spoke about and what it was about and, and that the platform I created, people just joined in to help. So I was also blessed, you know, to have people to come in and bless me. All right. Great. Great. And now I want to talk about this uh, other uh, project that you have. Uh, that is, uh, looks like it's a, a compliment to the Ah show. Now your life transforms. So tell me what is the basis behind that? Oh my goodness. Well, <clears throat> one thing about me, anyone who knows me very well, they know that when I was younger, I could only go to church, school, and home. So I know church very well, I know school very well, and I know home very well, because I wasn't able to do that much when I was younger. And one thing that I learned while uh, my journey at church is the beautiful scripture that says, be ye transformed for the renewing of your mind. And one thing that I know about transformation, or for you to even experience or tap into the dimension of transformation, you have to want to renew your mind. So in saying that, I've always known, as I said earlier, that I've always had a calling upon my life. I always know that I've had a voice that people need to hear, that would want to hear, would embrace to hear. And I also know that um, 
during this calling that there was something that I had to do so that I can connect with people one-on-one. And before Now Your Life Transformed was formed, I had created Empire Building, which was my first name for my life coaching. Okay. See, the reason why I wanted to get into life coaching is because, again, everything for me started in 1994. And 1994 was a pivotal moment because I had a lot of things that happened to me very quickly. I had experienced something that I had never experienced before, which led me to get help to get rescued by the NAACP. And then the NAACP wrapped its arms around me and shaped me and molded me and grew me and and caused me to see the other layer behind the layers of who I was becoming. And so because of the fact that I interacted and worked with the community and, and, and heard some horrific stories, I said, my goodness, I've been life coaching since 1994. I've okay. been doing it in a capacity. <laughs> and so that's when it came out. I said, well, I'll do, I'll, I'll name my business Empire Building. Of course, going back to New York, because Everybody knows about the Empire Building, you know, uh, and, and things of that nature. And so I named it first Empire Building. And then that's when the name changed because I was then spiritually guided to now your life transforms. And I, and I love that because when people just say the name of my business, now your life transforms.com, their life is transforming just because they utter those words. Now, what is the difference between what you do in life coaching as opposed to others who are looking for a life coach? Because uh, you gave me your card and I see that you start with a free session. So what without going into because we don't necessarily want to spoil anything until uh, otherwise it's up to you. What goes into your uh, consultations, uh, as opposed to anyone else who is doing life coaching? Well, I can't tell you about anyone else. Um, I, I, as to what they do with their life coaching, but with my life coaching, my life coaching is more of a matchmaker for those people who are entrepreneurs, those people who are leaders, those people who are executives, whether they are aspiring or seasoned professionals. Uh, My life, the life coaching that I give to those entities who are really ready to get out of their own way, they have to be really ready to get out of their own way. But let me just stop right here. Uh, There are some people that says, I want to advance. I am sick and tired of being sick and tired. And oftentimes what I have found is that even though they say I am sick and tired of being sick and tired, they like it because they know what's going to happen. They know the result. So that's why one of my hashtags is get out of your own way. And with, with my process, with my with what I do here at Now Your Life Transforms is that I don't just speak to someone over the phone and then on 
when someone's interest is peaked and saying, hey, you know, I want to look into life coaching, I have what is called a discovery process. And during that discovery process, that's why I'm giving a free consultation with various questions that I ask to really dive deep to see if they are really ready to get out of their own way or that's just or they they're really happy where they are and they're going to not do anything about it and 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 the reason why you have to do the discovery process as i said they could that day their boss could have pissed them off and they could say okay i'm just done with it i'm ready to make moves i'm ready to take action i'm ready to execute and and then the next day or later on that day, they could have talked to a husband or that husband could have talked to a wife. And then they say, oh, well, my, you know, I was told not to do this or the dog down the road and the cat up the street told me not to do it. So then they're not really ready. And that's why the discovery is so important because it gives them the opportunity to take a deep breath, to be able to share what their truth, but also being able to identify if this is a journey that they're really going to be committed to because it, it takes a commitment and accountability. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's, that's what, and so it's, and it's also a mindset thing too, because if you're not, again, if you're not <laughs> being transformed for the renewing of your mind, if you're not ready to go through the mindset uh, transformation, then, you know, that's when I let them know to come back to me when they're really ready. Make now, sense? Makes sense, yes. Now, for those of your, I don't know if you want to call them students or clients. Mm-hmm. Clients. Okay. Who uh, say that they've, would you consider that the, well, I would figure that with life coaching and you can stop me and correct me if I'm wrong, but with life coaching, there's never an ending. There's never really a graduation. Of course, there is a progression, but there's never really a graduation because there's always going to be something and you're always going to go back to your coach to ask questions about how I can get through whatever hurdle is ahead of me. Absolutely. You, you said it. Absolutely. You're, you're 100% correct. And if, and if I do find that I have done all that I can do, then I say to them, now it's time for you to move on and partner up with someone else. Okay. You understand what I'm saying? So as a life coach, you will know if you have given them all that you have and then you encourage them because by that time they are fired up they're, they're executing they're you know they don't mind accountability you know they're you know so they they have they have built that muscle you've helped them build that muscle that's already there is sometimes it's just that they laid it dormant for so long that now that that muscle is built up and they're like, okay, and I got it, you know, I, I got it. And so once they are, they, they have the, you know, the progression that they want and I have given them all that I have, then that's when I can say, okay, now you may move on 
and go to another entity for life coaching. But yes, life coaching is always something that's a lifetime because if you're really truly about getting out of your own way, you want someone there to guide you. You want someone there to show you the blind spots that you may not see because you're in the picture. You're not going to see the blind spots. You're, you're, you're in the picture. So you want someone that's going to guide you and hold your hand and wrap their arms around you, but you also want someone that's going to hold you accountable um, and, and, and make sure and give you the tools and the strategy and the blueprint for you to execute like no man's business. Yeah. Okay. Now, yeah. one question is, who do the life coaches go to when they feel that they're getting some type of blockage? <laughs> you know what? That's a fantastic question. I was just talking to someone today. I have done the uh, Tony Robbins, Unleash the Power Within. I've walked on fire with Tony Robbins. Okay. Uh, I have done the Landmark Forum. Um, so these teachings here are continuous. I've, I'm also a graduate of Silver Method. So when you meet an entity like myself, who is an open entity, you're absolutely right. We have to continue our work, because this is life work for me. This is not some hanging up a shingle, and now I'm in business, and then I'm going to be out of business in the next two to three years. No, no, no. This is life work. And this is why I take my work very seriously because this is my calling. So during this time when I'm needing to plug in and rejuvenate and and get myself, you know, to, to kind of like unload what was loaded to me, mm-hmm. you know, you do go to your books. Like I said, the science of getting rich. I'm constantly educating myself. You know, or you do, like in my case, I love the Tony Robbins, um, Unleash the Power Within. I encourage everybody to, you know, walk on fire because when you do that, it's something that happens that triggers in your brain that you are freaking unstoppable, (laughs) okay? Um, So, yeah, so I encourage, you know, other coaches or other people to, to do those type of studies. As long as you're an open entity, you, you're going to enjoy that. So that's what I do. I'm constantly reading books and, and you know, like the Tonys and, the, you know, like I said, the Landmark Forum, all of those types of uh, entities. Those are the type of learnings that I've done. Now, have you actually gone out and done speaking engagements, talking about your, uh, your uh, projects and your, um, you know, your, your, uh, now your life transforms. Have, have you been booked for these speaking engagements? I, this is what the most that I've done for this year so far. I have been on other shows, and I will do my show, letting people know what I'm up to. Right now, I have not been quote-unquote booked yet because we are also preparing for my campaign, which is happening in 2020. So I've been really in a grind uh, and really super focused with putting my team in place right now for 2020 election, as well as re-educating myself. So when I do go out there and speaking to different people, whether it's about Now Your Life Transforms, whether it's about NAACP, whether it is, because whatever it is, it's all still my brand. 
that I'm coming there with a fresh, revolutionary strategy, okay? Because people are tired of hearing the same old thing. They want results. <laughs> they want of to course. see some results. And so one of the things that I always believe in is being still and educating yourself, getting yourself armored up, so then when you do go out, you're ready. You're coming with something that they are, they haven't heard before. You're coming with coming with a strategic plan they haven't heard before. Because what people usually will say is, "Oh, we've heard that, been there, done that," right? Mm-hmm. So you know. So one thing as a leader, you need to know when it's time to sit back, so then you can further become the entity that you are becoming. Because we're always constantly becoming, I mean, of course, I love Michelle Obama. I'm reading her book, too. (laughs) Did you previously go to uh, the show uh, that was done at the BB&T Center? No, I didn't. No, I didn't go. I know, because some people were showing me, like, and were you here? Yeah, because people were saying the videos, and they they, they were doing some Facebook lives. They did the whole thing. Were you there, Kevin? Did you go? No, but at my uh, place of business where I work, there was a few people who went, who were actually staying, you know, at my property, who uh, went to the show that night. So, yeah. Yes, I heard it was exhilarating. They they said, and it didn't matter where you sat, you felt her energy all throughout the stadium. Okay, and and again, one thing I love about first lady, former first lady Michelle Obama, and her book, as she says, we are constantly becoming, and so that's one of the reasons why I go back to knowing when to sit still. Something else I'll share with you is last month in April, I did, a, I did a fasting. And the reason why I fasted is because I know that there are some projects that's going to really need my highest attention and my, and my best strength and my courageous spirit to be able to lead them. And I don't want to do a disservice to anyone. So I know there's a time that I have to pull back and go into the workshop, if you will, and, and, and get myself armored up so that I can, you know, be good and, and be able to really serve the people at the level that I know I can, whether it's with coaching, whether it's with my campaign, whether it's the person that's next door to me. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Of course. Of course. Yeah. So going back a little bit, in reference to your association with the NAACP and you're running for president. So you're running for president for your branch, correct? For Fort Lauderdale Broward branch, yes. Okay. So does the, the does the presidency does the does it have terms or is this something that you can uh, campaign and run and once you're elected uh, of course you would have to, um, you know, campaign and run for office. I mean, is it a four-year term? Is it an eight-year term? Right. It's a two-year term. Okay. So that's why I said I've been running ever since campaigning since 2014. So every two years, I run. Okay. So it's a two, the president, the, excuse me, 
the branch president. That's what we're called. We, we would be called the branch president. The branch president serves two terms, and then there's an election. So it's every, in this case, every even year. So every even year, there's an election in November. And let me just share this with your listeners, because I've had this question asked. They'll say, well, Anne, can I use my voter's registration card? Unfortunately, no. You have to have and be a member of good standing uh, at least 30 days prior to the election. So what does that mean? That means that you have to uh, purchase a membership. And the membership can be as little as $30. And that membership is an annual membership. Okay. So you pay $30 for that entire year. Okay. Okay. So like, for instance, as I said to you, I'm getting, I'm meeting with different people, selecting different people who are going to work with me, uh, who really want to be uh, a part of my uh, campaign. Uh, so what I'm encouraging them to do, if they're not already members, uh, to make sure to work the ending of this year in 2019 to start getting their membership in December. So once they get their membership in December 2019, it will run to December 2020. So that means that they would be a member in good standing for that entire year. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. Right. Now, right. The mem- now the membership, uh, is there weekly meetings? Is there monthly meetings? Like, how, how often does the community or the membership, how often do they get together? Well, typically, they get together twice a month uh, here at the Fort Lauderdale Broward Branch. However, to be honest with you, I don't know how often that they get together because I have not been to the Fort Lauderdale Branch uh, this year. So, to be honest with you, that's typical that they do uh, twice a month. But at, this is one of my things, as I said a little earlier, you have a branch that's there, uh, but sometimes I often hear that it's, it's, you know, the doors may be closed. So, you know, this is where I step in to say, well, you know, we need to be more open for the community. Good, good. Uh-huh. So we're gonna come to the home stretch. Um, very, I, uh, first off, before anything, like I said, I appreciate you taking the time out in order to speak with me and to let, uh, us know about who you are and the calling that you have and the many things that you are trying to do to walk in this calling that you have. Now I wanted to, since you're basically in the political game and it doesn't necessarily have to be a commercial political game you are in a local community factor of the political game but let Uh me step into uh this question for you um back in 2008 we elected the first president that was non-caucasian uh we elected the first black president so, in your opinion, does that now, we, we've seen a lot of changes in the past decade of things opening up to 
people of different color, different backgrounds, different identities. So do we find ourselves now in a place where we will see the next president of color or we will see the next president of a different gender? Have we opened those doors as of yet or is, is are we in a place where uh, we still have a long way to go before the floodgates are completely open? That's a fantastic question. You're on it. You know, l- let me just say this, Kevin. Our world has always been ready for a female president. I mean, of course, the history, as we already know, Shirley Chisholm was the first to run for president way back um, and in the days that women wasn't even being listened to. It's, it's now time. It's over time. It's past time that we, we embrace and we have a person who is truly a voice for our children and our communities. Because if we don't, if we, if we continue with this, how should I say, if we continue with the trajectory we're on, it's um, our children and our communities will be in a very bad shape. So therefore, it's been overdue it's it's been overdue we need we require we deserve to have someone that's going to come in there and lead our country and our children and our communities to a better place so if it takes that woman you know to come in there and 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 make things happen then so be it. If it takes uh, another man who who is um, who's transformed and and really is standing with the people and a voice for hope, justice, and equality, then so be it. But it's 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 time. It's more time than ever. Basically, our country needs to be resuscitated right now. And that is the reason why myself as a leader, that's why I am putting myself, if you will, giving myself some time to prepare for what's ahead. Because again, people are tired of hearing the same old things. People, people want results and we deserve, the American people deserve to have leaders that that don't talk a good game, but actually took time to armor themselves, whether it's through books. Like I said, the science of getting rich, I can't say it enough, by Wallace D. Wallace that was written in 1910 and looking at other pioneers and, and following footsteps that's in history that has made a difference. And then we just bring it up to the 21st century. It is way overdue. It is needed, but we need leadership who do not mind stepping away 
and armoring themselves up first so then they can really be of service and a voice to those people who seek hope, justice, and equality. Well, that was uh, that was a very inspirational speech, and I appreciate very much, once again, you taking the time out to speak with me. And uh, your website, which is nowyourlifetransforms.com. Uh, Absolutely. Yes, they can, uh, people can contact you through there. Is there any other places that they can contact you for uh, a complimentary consultation? No, that's, that is the website. That website, Now Your Life Transforms, and that's with an S, nowyourlifetransforms.com. They can reach me there, and that will get them connected with me in all aspects of my brand. Great, great. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you again, Anne, for uh, your, um, and I wish you much success in everything thank that you. you do. And thank you. Thank you. If there was a quote, because I'm sure that most of the motivational speakers always leave us with a quote, with an inspirational uh-huh. quote, what would uh-huh. your what would your quote be? Well, you know, I like I said, I'm I'm a Wallace D. Waddles fan, <laughs> and I would I would definitely like to, if you don't mind, I like to quote from Mr. Wallace D. Waddles, The Science of Getting Rich. Go ahead. Uh, something that he says in his book, and this is in chapter, chapter one. Uh, wait a minute. In chapter one, and chapter one is The Right to Be Rich. The Right to Be Rich. So I will take a quote from there. And he says, The man who has nothing to give cannot fill his place as a husband or father, as a citizen or as a man. It is in the use of material things that a man, that a man finds full life for his body, develops his mind, and unfolds his soul. It is therefore a supreme importance to him that he should be rich. From Mr. Wallace D. Waddles, The Science of Getting Rich. All right. Great. All right. Well, like I said before, thank you so much for taking the time out. And if you, if anyone wants to learn more about Anne and her uh, life coaching, they can go to her website, which is nowyourlifetransforms.com. Yes. Thank you, Kevin. And well, that was episode 26 of the Kevin Johnson program. We'd like to thank you very much for listening. And like I said before, feel free to find us on SoundCloud as well as Anchor under the Kevin Johnson program. And also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under Kev John Pro. And we look forward to seeing you at the next episode. Take care.